In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zakhut of speaking to Rabbi Yaakov Danashevsky, a licensed clinical social worker and TSAT in Chicago. Rabbi Yaakov specializes in treating trauma, process addictions, and therapy for couples. His group practice, Mind Body Therapy, provides a variety of therapeutic services for the greater Chicago area. Yaakov is also a speaker, educator, and author who blends spirituality, philosophy, and psychology, and has written the book Attached, Connecting to Our Creator, a Jewish Psychological Approach. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yaakov, for joining us today. It's a real zakhut to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to finding out and learning with you. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Okay, sounds good. So I took the the prompt a little bit literally. I hope that's okay. Uh, in the sense that I didn't just choose three pieces of Torah that are kind of my favorite Torahs in general, uh, because I actually think that would be very difficult to choose. I tried to choose them in a way that actually speaks directly to the theoretical scenario um, of that prompt of imagining being alone uh, on a on an island uh, by myself and what Torah would I need in that context per se. And I think that maybe before I jump into the first one, I'll just mention and frame it that in some way that hypothetical situation is not only a hypothetical situation, the literal version of it, hopefully none of us will have to be in, or at least not for an extended period of time. But the idea of, of being alone in this world is a very real situation, even for those of us who have many acquaintances and even those of us who have many friends and close family and close people in our lives. On some level, we all experience a sense of being alone in this world. And then the question is, in that space and in that experience, what Torah speaks to us and what Torah do we need in that in that part of our lives? So the three pieces I'll share uh, are each speaking to that in a more specific sense and not just these are the three best Torahs that I heard, but they're speaking to that aspect of our lives, the desert island aspect of our lives that is actually a real thing, not just a, a hypothetical scenario. So the first the first Torah is is actually not really a a particular teaching, but it's a piyut that we say, or a poem that we say in davening, on Yom Kippur in particular, we say it a number of times. Uh, it's a song, a well-known song as well. Uh, and the, the piyut is, Ki anu amecha, for we are your nation. And we sing this as an entryway into the vidoy section, the confessional section of the Yom Kippur davening. And I'm going to read to you the words of Kiano Amecha and translated as I go as well. And it's a beautiful, beautiful poem that describes the dynamic of the relationship uh, between the Jewish people and God through a variety of different metaphors. And that's what I'll try and explain in a moment. But first, let me just let me just read it. So it says, Kianu Amecha Va'ata Elokeinu, for we are your people and you are our God. Anu Vanecha Va'ata Avinu, we are your children and you are our father. Anu avadecha va'ata adonenu, we are your servants and you are a master. Anu kahalecha va'ata chalkenu, we are your congregation and you are our portion. Anu nachalasecha va'ata goralenu, we are your inheritance and you are our destiny. Anu tsonecha va'ata roenu, we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. We are your flock and you are our shepherd. 
We are your vineyard and you are our keeper. We are your creations and you are our creator. Or we are your handiwork and you are our creator. We are your beloved and you are our beloved. We are your chosen ones, your, your treasured people, your treasure, and you are our God. We are your nation and you are our king. We are your distinguished ones and you are our distinction. So that is the poem. And the reason that I like that so much, that it speaks to me so much, and the reason why I think it speaks so specifically to this aspect, the desert island aspect of our lives, is that in this mixed metaphor of the nature of the relationship we have with God, what it really is is expressing is that within our relationship with Hashem is all the different types of relationships we need within our lives. Because our relationship with God is so complex and so multidimensional and multifaceted and so rich and so nuanced, and it's filled with so many different things. And sometimes what can happen is a person can relate to Hashem or can think of religion or spirituality from a more narrow focus, from a specific angle, from a specific type of relationship. And in that, they're actually reducing. There's a reductionist aspect to that. When we take the relationship with God and we compare it to the relationship between a king and a servant, there's truth to it, but we've also reduced the relationship. If we look at the relationship we have with God as a shepherd and his flock, there's truth to it, but we've reduced it. If we look at the relationship with God as a relationship between a husband and a wife, there's truth to it, but we've reduced it. And this poem goes through all of them seamlessly. It doesn't seem to think there's any contradiction between relating to God as your king and relating to, your, to God as your intimate partner and relating to God as the shepherd and relating to God as the creator. All of them are true because ultimately, ultimately none of them are true. None of them are true because the reality is that the relationship with God is completely unique. There's nothing that it can actually be compared to. There is no metaphor for the relationship with God. The only thing we can say is you are our God and we are, and we are, you are you and we are we. That's the only, the only thing we could actually say is you are you and we are we. <laughs> but that is lacking in a, in a way the human experience and the human meaning of how to actually have a relationship with God. And God created us in a way of wanting relationship with us. And so the best we can do, the closest we can get, is to use a variety of metaphors. None of them is the whole picture, because the relationship with Hashem is completely unique. It's one of a kind. And so we take all these different metaphors and we put them together and we say, if we can combine all of these things, even though in the human relationship, and in the world of human relationships, these would all seem like different types of relationships that can't be mixed and can't be merged and can't be intertwined into one relationship. But when it comes to Hashem, if we put them all together, that's how we can get closer to the idea of what it actually means to have a relationship with Hashem. And the reason I think that's so powerful and so significant when I imagine the scenario of being alone on a desert island and when I imagine the reality of times where I'm alone in this world is because what that means is that I actually am never alone. 
we're actually never alone because Hashem is there wherever we are, even when we are completely by ourselves. And if Hashem is there when we are completely by ourselves, and we keep this poem in mind, what that means is that all the types and all the aspects of relationship that I need in my life are offered to me within the context of my relationship with Hashem. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we that that we shouldn't look for or that we don't need relationships with people. We do. We do need relationships with people. And part of authentic Judaism is ben adam lemakom and ben adam lechaver, living a, a, a life that is oriented towards God and oriented towards people. So we need relationships with people. But there's something that a relationship with Hashem can bring into our lives that nothing else can. Hashem is with us in all time and in all space, infinitely and permanently. It is the most, if we put it into psychological terms, it's the most secure relationship, secure attachment we could ever find because it's truly unconditional. God's infinity, infinitude is, is beyond time and space and it's permanent and it's endless and it contains all the dynamics of all the, the, the needs and the longings and the emotions that we have in our need for relationship can be found within that relationship with God. If I can, just to finish out this first Torah, if it's okay to give a little bit of a, uh, a shameless plug, I guess, uh, I, I, di I did just uh, write, a, write a book on this topic, uh, on, on what it means to have a relationship with Hashem. Because so often in Jewish life, we can naturally and understandably get caught up in the performance of different things and the details of halacha and mitzvot and the laws and, and all the different behaviors and conduct and all these different things that have tremendous significance and tremendous meaning. And sometimes we can actually forget about the relationship itself, the relationship with Hashem that all of those mitzvot and all of halacha are actually intended to bring us towards. And so how do we really bring this ki anu amecha to life, this nature of having a relationship with Hashem? So this book that I wrote and uh, the podcast that I've, that I've launched along with it, both which are called Attached, the book is called Attached and the podcast is called Attached if anybody wants to look for it, uh, are all about this. How do we develop the relationship, the intimate, meaningful, close, and profound relationship that we can have with Hashem? And so as that, as the first Torah that I'll share, uh, it's this idea that within the, not, not an idea, it's a reality, it's an experience, that within the relationship with Hashem is contained all the relational fulfillment that we really need in our lives. Absolutely. I love that. Such a unique um, idea. And I find it links to the story of the Miraglim. Um, when Hashem says, Salakti, I have forgiven because of your word. We also say, Salakti on Yom Kippur. We are your people and you are our God. And Hashem loves us unconditionally, even if we slip up, because ultimately we made a covenant um, which drives us as the Jewish people. So it's such a lovely idea. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. So should we move on to should your I second piece? Go on to the second one. Sure. Okay. So the second one is a little bit of a shift from that first one, although I don't think that they are mutually exclusive at all. I think they kind of complement each other. So if in the first one, in the first idea I shared, the focus is on a relationship with Hashem and that we're never alone because we have this incredibly rich relationship with Hashem that is accessible to us at all times and all places. In the second Torah idea that I'll share, the shift is towards ourselves. So I will be honest, I've never found this inside, this teaching. 
but I heard it many, many years ago and it stuck with me. I heard it in the name of the Ishbitzer, the Ishbitzer Rebbe. And again, I can't validate that. I've never seen it inside a Sefer, but I, I've, I've heard this idea that it says in Pirkei Avos, you should acquire for yourself a friend. You should develop friendship. And I heard in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe that he also had a, a second reading, a second alternative reading of this, this statement from the rabbis in Pirkei Avos that says, can be interpreted as acquire yourself as your friend. So not acquire for yourself a friend, but as your chaver. Acquire, develop yourself as your friend. And in the, again, the taking literally this idea of the desert island Torah, what teaching, what Torah do we need? Do each and every one of us need in our lives in the spaces and in the experience of being alone in this world, which are so real. This is the second Torah that comes to mind for me. Namely, we're never alone. In addition to having Hashem, we're never alone because we have a relationship with ourselves. And that in our lives, we need to develop. We really need to develop a way. And this is not necessarily easy for everybody or for anybody. But we need to consider a supreme importance of being friends with ourselves. To become best friends with yourself. To have a relationship with yourself. I actually think in many ways this is really what self-esteem means. People often confuse or conflate self-esteem and self-confidence. Self-confidence refers, I mean, it's a matter of semantics. People can identify whatever concept they want to whatever word, but in the terminology I'm going to use, self-confidence relates to, do I know or feel that there are things I'm good at, that there are talents, skills, competencies that I have that I'm confident in? Now, actually, people don't necessarily realize this, but most people do not struggle with self-confidence. People know there are things that are good that they're good at. And there are things they, they're, not, they're not necessarily good at. Self-confidence is, is not our pandemic, the lack of self-confidence. Our global issue is self-esteem, which is not about, am I good at things? It's, do I like who I am? The whole package of who I am, the whole reality, the whole being, the nature, the character, my strengths and weaknesses, my unique personality, my unique being, my life experiences, my way of thinking, my way of feeling, my way of, 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 of existing and experiencing the world. Do I like being me? Do I like spending time in this world as myself? That's self-esteem, self-acceptance. That is what people profoundly struggle in. Because we live in a world that is highly evaluatory. So things are constantly being evaluated. What am I good at? What am I not good at? What grade did you get? How did you perform? Did you make this team? How good are you at this job, at this career? How much money do you make? How attractive are you? How this? And, and it's, it's all these, these, these grading scales, either explicit or implicit. So we live in a world that is so caught up in the self-confidence equation. And so many people have never even heard of the self-esteem question. It's never even come into their view they could live their entire life never even thinking about that question one time of, do I like myself? They're just thinking about, what am I good at? Am I good at this or not good at this? And they try and work on self-confidence. 
but not the self-acceptance. And self-acceptance means it means becoming friends with myself. The whole thing. It's not about pretending I'm good at everything. It's not about whitewashing it. It's not about giving everyone a trophy. The whole idea of every person gets a trophy is actually, it actually gets in the way of self-esteem. We, we don't all win all the time. The question is, can I like myself even if I didn't get a trophy? Because I like myself. So I'm okay if I didn't get a trophy. I'm okay if, I, if I'm not great at something. Because I like who I am. The whole thing, the whole experience. I'm friends with myself. You know, Rabbi Nachman talks, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov talks a lot about his spodidus, uh, secluding oneself with God. And he talks a lot, a lot, and most of the focus is on the connection between us and Hashem. More in a way that's related to the first Torah I shared than to the second Torah I'm sharing. But one of the, the, the phrases, the, 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 the language that he uses many, many times in a very just kind of like thrown in there kind of a way. He doesn't like elaborate on it or expand on it. It's just kind of like the language that he uses, but it appears again and again, is that in his spodidus and in a person's relationship with God, what they what the goal is, the litmus test to am I really connecting, is if a person experiences his language is lehov es atzmo im hakadosh baruch Hu. Does a person love themselves with God? And in the context of that, it's usually more focused on the loving God part, on the connecting to God. But he throws in those couple of words, lehov es atzmo im hakadosh baruch Hu. To love himself with Hashem. And it's not Hashem loving me, that too. And maybe that's where it comes from. But it's it's an experience of loving myself in the experience of also loving Hashem. So developing that sense of connection with myself, the relationship with myself, spending time with myself. Can I enjoy that? Can I enjoy being alone? Can I enjoy just spending? We, we, we would never want to be trapped on a desert island. But what would it be like to intentionally choose to go to a desert island or whatever the equivalent of that is and just spend time with myself? Do I like myself enough to want to take a trip between me and me, to go on a vacation, just me and myself, to spend time with myself, to be who I am? Do I like being who I am? I think it's one of the most important and profound questions in the world. And this teaching, this Torah, again, may be attributed to the Ishbitzer of Kneil Chachavar is saying that it's one of the goals, it's one of the instructions that our sages give us of how to live the life of a Jew, to live the life that we're, that we're supposed to be trying to live is Kneil Chachavar, is to acquire myself as my friend. You know, it's I'll just end this, this Torah with this last point. The Pasuk that we usually focus more on, what we, we usually fo- focus more on one part of this, the following Pasuk. A person should love their neighbor like themselves. And and according to some opinions in Chazal, this is the principle of the whole Torah. Embedded in that, the assumption in that is that a person loves themselves. Because it wouldn't make sense for the Torah to tell us, love your neighbor like you love yourself, if we didn't love ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't be treating our neighbor very well, right? If, if, if the mandate is to love your neighbor like yourself, what that means is you have to love yourself. And the first, and and so the first piece of work to do in a person's life, if they really want to love someone else, is to love themselves. And it's careful; it's a careful balance because people can get lost in loving themselves in the wrong ways, and then it can lead to to, to narcissism and to uh, you know to different problems. But there's there's a very healthy way of doing this, a very grounded and very very healthy way 
of of becoming friends with myself. Absolutely, I love that. Um, I think it's really important. Rav Soloveitchik emphasizes how a person finds themselves within the community, but before you get to the community, you have to know yourself in order to bring yourself to the community as an individual. What what can you bring as an individual? And part of that is loving yourself and knowing that you can be, you know, a, a good person. And yeah, that's really great. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, sure. So should we move on to your third piece? Yeah. Okay. So the third piece uh, is a is a Torah that I'll start as a story. It's a it's a story that I believe is is a, an incredibly profound Torah. So in these moments, again, in these moments of desert island moments of our life, these these alone moments of our life, I've I've spent the past two Torahs talking about how we can discover a relationship with Hashem and how we can discover a relationship with ourselves. And the third piece is, is, is a slightly different angle based on this, the following story. So I heard this from my Rebbe, Rav Moshe Weinberger, that they say, supposedly in the name of Rav Baruch of Mezbij, that he used to be kind of hard on himself. And he would say that when he dies after 120 and he goes up to Shemayim, they're not going to know what to do with him. He used to say, because I'm not going to go straight into Gan Eden. I'm not a tzaddik that I'm just going to be a righteous person that gets to go straight into into the to, to into Gan Eden. But I'm also not like a complete Russia. I'm not a completely evil person. So I'm not going to go straight into Gehenim either. So I'm not going to go straight into Gan Eden. I'm not going to go straight into Gehenim. And so what's going to happen is that I'm going to be sitting there somewhere in between Gan Eden and Gehenim somewhere in between heaven and hell. And the based in Shalmila, the, the, the court above, God's court that will be deliberating what to do with me. Where should they put me? They're going to be deliberating and trying to figure out what to do and looking at my life and, and trying to come up with a decision and a conclusion. And so he used to say, I have a plan. When that happens, when I'm sitting there, somewhere in this no man's land, this space between heaven and hell, and the Bastin is, is, is deliberating what to do, I'm going to start saying to Hillam. I'm going to start reciting Psalms. And I have a very unique way, a unique niggin, a unique song through which I say to Hillam. I daven, I pray the Tehillim in a way with this very special melody. And when I'm doing that, David HaMelech, who wrote Tehillim, is going to be deep within Gan Eden, where all the holiest people are. And he's going to hear this melody that he's never heard before to the words that he wrote, to the words that came from the depths of his heart. And he's going to be curious about it. So he's going to come out deep from within Gan Eden. He's going to start walking out to the gates, to the entry, to the entrance. And he's going to come outside and sit to listen to me say his words, his Tehillim with my melody, my song. And if Rabbi Akiva the great scholar from the Gemara, from the times of the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva, the great, incredibly holy person, Rabbi Akiva, sees David Amelech, King David, leaving Gan Eden. So Rabbi Akiva is going to be very curious. Why would, why would King David, why would he be leaving Gan Eden? So he's going to follow him. And if Rabbi Akiva and David Amelech are both leaving Gan Eden, so Sarah Imenu, our matriarch, is going to see Rabbi Akiva and David HaMelech, and she's going to think, why would these two incredible people 
be leaving Gan Eden. So she's going to then start following them too. And then when her husband, Avram Avinu, Abraham sees his wife, Sarah, leaving Gan Eden with, with King David and Rabbi Akiva, he's going to leave too. And you get the idea that soon Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and the Vilna Gon and the Baal Shem Tov and all the tzaddikim of all the different generations and Moshe Rabbeinu and all these incredibly righteous people are going to, are going to start leaving Gan Eden to sit down around me and listen to me sing to Hillim. And so Baruch HaMejbish said, and so my plan is that at that point, if I'm surrounded by these people, by these incredibly righteous people, by all these amazing people, and I'm saying to Hillim, then what difference does it make if I'm actually in Gan Eden or if I'm sitting outside Gan Eden? That already is Gan Eden. And I think that what he's saying there is something so incredibly profound. Because I don't think Rav Baruch HaBezbej was saying that as something he was trying to teach about esoteric or otherworldly experiences. I think he was actually saying that about our world and our experience. What he's saying is that so often in life, each one of us is sitting somewhere between heaven and hell. Most of us are not in a place in our life where every single aspect of our life, the entirety of our life is just a dark, purely sealed off and dark Gehenim, hell. That's not what most of us are experiencing. And most of us are also not experiencing a life and a world in which everything is bright as Gan Eden and everything is as shining and perfect and, and glorious and delightful as Gan Eden. Most of us experience life somewhere in no man's land between heaven and hell. And so much of our life revolves around trying to get to the other side of the gate, to get into the Garden of Eden, to get into Gan Eden, to get into what we think of as being heaven. We're waiting. We're not living yet. We think we haven't arrived yet. When I get this opportunity, when this comes through, when this happens, when I start making this much money, when I find this person in my life, when I accomplish this, then I'll be there. Then I'll arrive. That will be my Gan Eden. That will be my heaven. And we're waiting for that and waiting for that. And then what happens when we get there? It just shifts. So now what I thought would be my getting there and my arriving just turns into still being my new no man's land. And now I'm waiting for the next thing that I think will be my actually ar arriving. And it keeps just perpetually continuing where it gets pushed downfield and downfield further and further and further. And what Baruch HaMezbiz is saying is stop waiting. Stop waiting till you quote unquote arrive. Stop waiting until the thing you think is your heaven arrives. We're all living somewhere between heaven and hell. And our job, the opportunity of our life is to stop waiting until we get to the other side and instead just say right now, wherever I am, this is it. I can turn this into a situation where if I make this moment, this very moment, this very reality, these particular circumstance, if I make this into the best experience that I can make it, if I engage this as if this is everything it needs to be, then I no longer even need to wait anymore to get to the other side because at that point, what's the difference? That's Mashiach. Mashiach is this moment. 
It's being in this moment and saying in this moment, I can already be in Gan Eden. I can already be at the end in the process. I can already be here now. And this is all that I need. This has everything it needs to be. And when I believe in that and I turn this into that moment, then at that point, as, as Baruch Meshbush said, when I'm surrounded by all the things I need to be surrounded by, so what difference does it make if I'm on this side of the fence or that side of the fence? And I, I think for me, I can say for sure on a personal level, that's an extremely challenging, challenging way of living. It's not easy to remember that again and again. They say that the Tzemach Tzedek of, of Lubavitch said that the, the name Yud Kei Vav Kei of Hashem, Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, is actually made up of two parts. The letter Yud and then the word Hove. Hove in Hebrew means present. Yud always represents spirituality, ruchnius, the highest level, the highest level of the world, the closest thing to perfection. Because it's the smallest physical letter, so it's the closest thing to the spiritual world. And he said, Tzemach Tzedek said, that the name of God, the name of Hashem, is Yud and Hove, because what it's saying to us is how do you create the reality and the presence of God in this world is by finding the Yud in the Hove, in whatever moment you're at, making this moment into Yud, this Hove into the Yud. This moment is already in Gan Eden, wherever it is. We're all lost somewhere between heaven and hell, and we can make that moment into the end in the end itself. Wow, so, so powerful um, and a really, really inspiring message. Thank you for sharing. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming on today and sharing really inspiring pieces of Torah. It's been uh, it's been been very, very meaningful. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.